Hello and welcome to the pep talk. But today you're not with your two favorite bald frauds. Just one of them. Jason is sick today, so we have Joe Ricci in the house. How's it going, Joe? Good, good man. Thanks for having me. I uh, yeah, I'm sorry I can't contribute to the uh, the bald approach, but uh, I do take a lot of pride in my hair, so I'll take the opposite end of the spectrum today. Yeah, I, I think I would rather have hair than not have hair. But I guess <laughs> since I don't, I gotta embrace it. Exactly. Exactly. And finally, two people on the same side of the pond. Normally, it's me and Jason on the other side of the world. Yeah, we're we're on the on the same day at least, so that's uh, that's good because I think there's going to be plenty plenty to chat about today. Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> there's plenty to talk about. Um, let's get started with. We'll knock this out of the way quickly, or at least semi quickly. Um, let's talk about Newcastle because uh, I think we've forgotten that City's actually playing right now, or at least like playing <laughs> as in the season has started. Um, so, what did you think, kind of going into this game? It seemed like last week there's just a lot of negativity in terms of like. You know, the squad seemed really thin and people were out and the Pakitas stuff happened. Like, how are you feeling going into the game? Yeah, so, I mean, in general, I'm, I'm usually pretty neutral going into matches and in that, you know, I'm a realist and I understand that City are probably the best club in the world. But at the same time, I think if you're a true fan of any club, you're always going to have a little bit of that, like, nervous feeling in your gut and... I think this match in particular was probably the least confident I've been going into a Premier League match and probably since like prime Klopp's Liverpool. Um, And that's not to like overly compliment Newcastle. It's more just the state of where City were at between kind of a shorter preseason compared to some clubs. Obviously, you know, there was a handful of injuries, um, player omissions, players that were on their way out. And then to me, the biggest thing was just the lack of turnaround time and coming back from a warm, warm, warm match in Athens. That just, it just felt like everything was in Newcastle's favor aside from city playing at home. And it, it just felt like one of those banana peel matches. And um, so I wasn't overly confident to be honest with you, but um, that's, that's why we watch the game and, and that's why we love sports. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel the same way. Like, I am generally a pretty optimistic fan and I just felt so pessimistic going into this one just because like it that's right when the pocket stuff happened where it's like city you're out and he's got all these betting allegations and, and looked like we hadn't made progress on Doku yet. And so all this stuff is like swirling around. It's like, Oh, and then on top of that, Bernardo's out, Kevin De Bruyne's out, John Stones is out. It was just, it was just, and then, and then the Super Cup match in the middle of the week that just was not a good match. I just, it all felt so pessimistic. Um, so, like you said, that's why they play the game. And Definitely. Looked great. L- looked great. The, I mean, the 11 basically picked itself, really. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in looking at the bench, right, it's like, I, I mean, your only real maybe alternatives were Ake and Lewis in, in defense and Palmer on the wing. I mean, everything else based on Pep's history and, and players that he picks and doesn't pick. I mean, there there weren't really any alternatives there. So I think Alvarez being fit enough to start and get 90 was, was huge for 
well, obvious reasons in that he scored, but it felt like his omission um, midweek and only being able to play 15 minutes or so um, definitely hurt the team. And like you said, you know, Pep just didn't really have any other options. And I think, I'm guessing as we'll talk about today, um, the squad was at a point where it was just so thin that you were either relying on youth players or players that were completely burnt out and, and Pep opted for the latter. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And, you know, obviously, like, the, the the defense, there could have been some different changes. But, like, in general, I'm at the point where, like, it doesn't really matter who in defense is playing for us. I feel confident in all of them, and it, it just doesn't really matter. Like, whether it's Gvardiol or Ake or whoever, it doesn't really, I don't know, change my opinion on, on how I think I, the game is going to go. I'm curious what, what you think, just based on, obviously – your interest and knowledge of, of the tactical setup in that I agree with you on that overarching statement, like whoever's really playing in quote unquote defense, I have faith in, but it feels like compared to the end of last season where city were pretty much tried and true four center backs, the system was, was pretty straightforward. Someone would, would tuck in a midfield from either right back or, or right center back. It was usually stones. Whereas at the weekend, Kyle Walker really took up a totally different role from what we've seen. Um, like for me, I feel a little bit different now that depending on who's in the back four, it's like, okay, well city could be in a totally different setup. You know, if we saw Walker really act as kind of the right winger attacking output on the right with Foden tucking in. Whereas if that were Rico Lewis, maybe he's the one tucking in a midfield and the Kanji stays back. So I'm curious what you think about that kind of setup that we saw at the weekend and also how you foresee Pep kind of lining up the defense in the coming weeks where they're all very talented players, but it feels like depending on one or two players, the system kind of changes. Yeah, so we saw Kyle Walker do this a couple of times last year. It wasn't often, but it happened a couple of times where basically like, because we play a back four in defense. It's a 4-4-2 what, when we don't have the ball. But it's the back three, usually a 3-2 in buildup when we do have the ball. So when Walker's there, like, he can't invert. I mean, Pep made that pretty clear in that press, famous press conference last year that he can't play that inverted role next to Rodri. So really the only place he can play is either the right side of that back three or he can play high and wide. And... We saw it a couple times last year where, like, the other three um, in the back line would play the back three. Kyle would play high and wide as, like, basically the right side of the front five. And then we'd have a double pivot of midfielders, like Gundogan and Rodri next to each other as the two. And then the right winger, like Mares or Foden, would essentially tuck inside and kind of be, like, the right-sided midfielder. And everybody would kind of shift over, right? So Kyle would kind of be like a wing back and he mm-hmm. would, he would give the width. And that's, I th- kind of what happened in this one. Like it was more of a two, three in buildup instead of a three, two. Right. Uh, but Walker basically did that. It's in Grealish was so deep because he was tracking Trippier. It was almost like Walker and Grealish played as wing backs. And in terms of yeah. like, if we'll see it, I don't, I, I think this is kind of specific, but who knows? Yeah, I think it's going to depend on just 
I mean, obviously, ideally, Stones is available more often than not, and I th- I'm curious too as as Vardiol gets more comfortable in the system if we don't see more of his involvement both in midfield in place of what we saw from Akanji, but also in kind of that attacking outlet because I think he offers far more going forward than a Kyle Walker does. And obviously at 21 years old, he probably has far more upside in that sense too. So yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. It just, it felt like this weekend was a little bit of a, maybe not a one-off, but not something that we'll see very frequently. Yeah. I think we'll see a bunch of different things this year too. I think there's going to be a lot of variations of this. I think partially because Juan Malillo's back and he's like, he's a very, I don't know how to put it, like a philosopher of the game, very good tactician. And so just his influence with Pep, I think we'll see some different variations because you can't just do the same thing every week and, you know, things will change with Doku as well. I do think, I thought at first that Bardiol would step into midfield and kind of do that Stones role. I am actually convincing myself that he is not going to do that and that he's just going to stay on the left side. Um, And the reason I think that is because it seems pretty clear that Pep wants Akanji to play there and thinks he can, and I think Akanji will get better every week. Like Akanji was much better um, over the weekend than he was in the Super Cup. And it seems like, you know, John Stones, we can't rely on him to play every match. So who are the two people that can play next to Rodri in that 3-2 would be Stones, Rico Lewis, or now Akanji. And I think that's kind of what Pep wants from Akanji, and I think he'll be able to do it. So that's it, it surprised me, honestly, but I, that's where it's looking for me. I I think I, I partially agree in that. I think Akanji definitely looked a lot better at Newcastle than he or against Newcastle than he did in the Super Cup, and that's natural, right? It's gonna he he hasn't done that role before, so obviously it's gonna only get better with time. I actually think that, and maybe it's just the first half of the season, maybe it's the entire season, that Vardiol probably won't play that inverted role just, again, while he gets used to the system because I think playing in a back line for Pep's demanding enough as is, asking them to do that inverted role is a whole nother layer of complexity. But I, I feel like if you're power ranking it, it's, it's Stones is obviously the number one best fit for that. I think over time, Vardiol will be number two, if not number one. I think Akanji is one of those. He's just always available, right? He's always fit. He's always available. So naturally, someone has to be next in line, and I think it falls to him. But my my gut feeling is that as he gets more acclimated to the system, as he continues to grow as a, as a player and, and, a, and a defender, I think that you know if Pep stays with this system, I could see Vardiol taking up more of that central role. I mean, we know how comfortable he is on the ball. I'd like to think that he is probably already better than Akanji in that sense. It's just a matter of Akanji knows the system and Vardiol doesn't. So that'll definitely be one to watch as, you know, the, the weeks and months go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that that could be very possible too. What I like about Vardiol too, just down that left side is it was kind of made for him because in a way, like the when you see the back three, like the two wider guys are almost like fullback center back hybrids, right? Like they're center backs, but they push really high up. Like they get right. almost into the box when, and sometimes they'll even overlap and stuff. And Vardiol is like perfect for that. So I am excited to see just a little more of that. This match, he was almost like he was essentially just a traditional center back in possession. 
just because it was him and Diaz, and that was it. Well, he certainly looked like that. Looked like one with that one v three stop, right? Right in the second half. Oh I mean, God. that was one of those moments where like it felt very Ruben Diaz esque of just listen. You have to make a tackle. If you don't make a tackle, you're conceding, and if you do make a tackle, it completely changes the game. And I, I thought that was. I mean, obviously, we'll. T- I'm sure we'll talk about Foden and Alvarez's goal, but I think that to me, that's the moment of the match because it felt like pressure was going Newcastle's way and, and something was building. And for Vardiol to put that tackle in was just such a big moment for him on only his second appearance for the club. Yeah, I think one thing I've been impressed with so far is like how quick his feet are. Like when you see him make tackles or something, he's just really quick to get out to a ball and like get there first, essentially. And his just his agility and his quickness is really impressive for a center back. I think that's one thing that we see mostly from like Nathan Ake or Kyle Walker in this team. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's got that as well, but he's just a beast on top of that. So let's start, let's start with the first half. Really. Uh, It's fairly dominating from city. Really like city scored. We scored our goal, obviously in the 31st minute. Uh, But it was, I mean, were you surprised or, or how are you, feeling throughout that first half um well funnily enough i was actually just disappointed and not in city but in newcastle i thought the way that they set up was incredibly defensive and i mean not that they're the greatest attacking side of all time but you know for the performance that they put in against villa i know going to the etihad is obviously one of the more difficult trips for any club but it just felt like Newcastle weren't set up to do anything but absorb pressure, and um, I just I thought it was pretty disappointing from them. But from City's point of view, I mean, again, all things that we talked about at the beginning with kind of concerns going into the match, I think that they they came out maybe not guns blazing. I don't think that you know the obviously the XG numbers weren't weren't incredible, but I think that it was clear from really minute one that City were controlling the match and that. Phil Foden in particular was going to leave a mark on this match one way or another. It just felt like he stood out from minute one as someone that was ready to grab the game by the scruff of the neck, similar to how, you know, Kev has in his prime. And um, that was my biggest takeaway from the first half was, you know, maybe City might not finish with two, three, four goals in the match, but they're going to have control for 70, 80% of the match. And ultimately that first half, I think, was, was telling of that. Yeah, I mean, that that first half was about as dominant as we've seen from City, especially against the top side, like Newcastle. Newcastle, I think, will probably end up top four this year, and and City just dominated them the entire half. I'm surprised, like you said, I'm surprised it wasn't more goals. And that's probably just because Newcastle themselves are very well disciplined defensively. Um, But in terms of, like, I don't, it's weird because when you see bigger teams that can't get possession against City, I don't actually think sometimes it's a tactic to park the bus, or as you could say. I think that, one, they're at the Etihad, so they can't just like go guns blazing completely or they'll get played right off the park. But also, a lot of times teams will try to press in the first five, ten minutes, and then they'll get torn up a couple times, and they're like, all right, we can't do this anymore. And they just have to sit back because they mm-hmm. really have no other choice. I think we saw it a 
year or two ago with Chelsea, where Chelsea tried pressing City high. City had a couple big chances in the first couple minutes, and then they just sat back the entire rest of the game. And I think that's what that's kind of what happened in Newcastle because Eddie Howe is not the type of manager to just play defensively. Like we even saw at Bournemouth when they were getting relegated, they're still going for it. And I just think they couldn't get a kick in. City just loaded up the midfield too, where they were overrun, and there was just they, there was just no way they could get their feet on the ball. And I think that was a that was a big part that played into the goal as well. But yeah, that it was just um, I, I would say kind of more masterful from City than disappointing from Newcastle on my end. Yeah, and it just it just felt like again City wanted it more if nothing else. I really thought that Newcastle would build off of, you know, their opening week uh victory over Villa and and I, I thought the lineup they put out was probably their best lineup. Um obviously they brought some talent off the bench and everything in the second half, but yeah, it just it just felt like City, you know, for all the struggles that they had midweek from the climate to the short travel turnaround, you know, they look like the side that were a week's rested and they look like the side that definitely had been playing together for much longer. I mean, I thought that it, it it's crazy that Kovacic and, and Vardiol were two new signings because they didn't look like they stood out in any sort of way. It, it just felt like this was a very cohesive team. And oddly enough, I thought the, the player that looked most out of it was probably Erling Holland. He, he was the one who, you know, Phil created ample opportunities for, and his touch was a little bit off. His finishing wasn't great. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think that this was a really cohesive team in the first half. And I think second half was a little bit more of kind of just getting it across the line rather than trying to overexert this early in the season. Yeah, it was Holland was a little odd. Like he, he didn't have his best game because he did have opportunities to score. And it would just be like mishandled, or he he just couldn't get his feet under it for whatever reason. Like it it was just just a little clunky, um, which you know that happens, right? Like he people have bad games all the time. Not every striker has to score every game, but right. um, but what was interesting was like, I mean, Foden is one of the best players at just sitting right in that pocket, right in front of the center backs and turning with it and then like creating something out of it. Right. And this was kind of perfect for him because since we built up in a two, three, there's kind of like a line of three and then a line of three right in front. Right. Right. So, cause Walker was out wide. So Foden was kind of nominally the right wing, but he was essentially central. So it was like a line of three and a line of three. And then you had Newcastle's three midfielders in the middle. So they kind of had to make a choice. Like, do I sit back and protect this back line of three or do I push mm-hmm. up? And anytime they would even consider pushing up, it's like Foden's wide open every time. <laughs> right. And the, and he's just the perfect guy at finding that space too. And it was just, it was, it was beautiful. And that's kind of what, and for whatever reason, well, I mean, not for whatever reason, but for obvious reasons, Newcastle didn't want to bring up a center back to push on Foden because then that leaves Holland open. And we know how good Foden is with like his first touch getting away from a defender. And that's the last thing you need is like Foden want 2v1 with Holland against a defender. So 
Um, and I, yeah, I it mean, was that was beautiful. Yeah, and I think that was shown, you know, really well actually with City's goal in that Foden kind of took up that just outside the box space on, on the right side of the attack. And then the reason that Alvarez was so open was, you know, Holland made a, a run towards the back post and he carried two or three defenders with him. So you watch it back and if you watch it at face value, you're thinking, you know, why are they giving a, a player like Alvarez this this much space in the box? And then you take a look at it and Holland just takes two or three set defenders with him. And, you know, as much as I may have said, you know, it wasn't his best performance and I don't think it was, he still has those intangibles of, knowing when to make the right runs, knowing when to, to make unselfish runs that take defenders with them, that free up space for his teammates. And, um, you know, with a team that has this much individual talent, all it takes is, you know, Foden putting that pass to Alvarez. And I, I think that goal is not getting nearly enough respect in the greater media in the sense of where he was in the box to where he placed it past a very talented, very lengthy Nick Pope. I thought that was an incredible finish. And he, he didn't really put a lot of, um, weight behind it. It was kind of a quick turn and just shot across his body. And I think that's where you see moments like that and you think, okay, with Kev being out, is it great? No. But Alvarez offers something different, that that moment of magic that can get you across the line. And um, it, it was one of those team moments of a great pass from Foden, a great run from Holland, and an incredible finish from Alvarez. Yeah, I would say like, other because Kevin De Bruyne is out, really the only other guy in the team, or one of the few guys in the team that Alvarez does is score golosos, right? Like sometimes you just need that. You just need a dude that just hits a banger that nobody else can do. And generally that's Kevin De Bruyne, but also that's Alvarez. And maybe Rodri would be the other one. But it's rare. Like Foden generally doesn't score those types of goals and neither does Bernardo like they all you know they're good at scoring right even Holland but Alvarez has like that outside the box or at the edge of the box just like hits a banger into the top corner type of goal in him and I I love that but yeah like the goal too it was real interesting because like Newcastle were very disciplined right like they were they were really not trying to get out of their positions. And the one time they did, that's when City scored. And so, like, if you watch the move from the beginning, Rodri receives the ball. Bruno Guimaraes comes up to press him. And that left Foden wide open in the middle. So then Joe mm-hmm. Linton moved inside to go cover Foden. That left Kovacic wide open. So he gets an easy pass to Kovacic. Gets it to Walker out wide, and Anthony Gordon was pressing up the field. So when Walker gets it out wide, Dan Byrne has to come out way further than he wanted to. Because generally when Walker was going up the field, Gordon was tracking back on him. But this time he wasn't. And when Byrne went all the way out there, that's when that space opened. And that's when Foden ran into it. And then Sven Botman, the center back, had to come out to get Foden. And that leaves... Holland and Alvarez with one defender to defend both of them. And like you said, the smart thing Holland did was Holland ran back post because he knew Alvarez was near post. The defender followed Holland, so that left Alvarez wide open. And it was just, yep. it was it was beautifully worked because it was like, it was so high IQ by the players to know exactly who's out of position. Then Foden run into the space that the position was vacated. And it was like, it was just beautifully worked. 
and honestly, in my opinion, the best, the most beautiful aspect of it, not the goal, the celebration. It felt very, I don't know if you saw the pictures on Twitter of, of Alvarez and Foden and then the snapshot of Silva and Aguero celebrating like almost identical. <laughs> it, it was, it was a beautiful thing to see, but yeah, no, I, I think overall it was, it was a great match and um, to get three points this early in the season against a, again, an informed Newcastle side with everything going against City is, I, I don't care about the score as long as they got the three points and took care of business that's all that matters yeah and the second half was basically the same which i which kind of surprised me like newcastle really didn't have much of a sniff in this game i think the biggest xg shot they had was like 0.06 xg on the shot yeah i mean they didn't register much i think they only had like 0.3 in total um Mm -hmm. and i mean again obviously there there could have been that big chance had had vardial not made that last ditch tackle but other than that, I mean, it, it's not very often Rodri makes a mistake like that to give the ball away. So I think that, you know, City were were pretty tidy at the back and, um, again, had enough control in midfield that it didn't really allow Newcastle the opportunity to get any meaningful chances. Yeah. And I think the crazy thing also about Vardiol that we hadn't even touched on, he's 21 years old. He's two years younger than Phil Foden. That's wild. <laughs> right. Like, right. That's wild. Uh, he looks about six years older, but yeah. Yeah, he's he's just and he's a robot too. Like, just kind of in his like entry interviews and like this guy is like Holland. He's just a robot. It's wonderful. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's basically all we can talk about in the Newcastle game. Like, it was just it was just dominant from start to finish, and that's the kind of statement we wanted to see from City, especially like like you said after the first week where Newcastle looked amazing against Villa and it kind of puts City's stamp that like now you're gonna have to take this title from us we're not giving it away to anybody and we're still the best team in the league so uh don't think you can come here and take it from us we'll still dominate you no matter how little our squad is yeah exactly love it yeah so let's move on um City made a signing this week I can't believe it Jeremy Doku. Uh, do you do you know anything about the guy? Yeah, yeah. I um, it's funny. I remember the first time I I really came to know of his his talent was at the uh, the Euros when Belgium played Italy, and I just remember thinking like, how is this not a name I've heard before? I mean, at the time, I think he was only eighteen or nineteen, so obviously he was he was really young. But it just felt like it should have been kind of his coming out moment and. I think maybe on a really small scale it was, but um, obviously when he left Belgium to play in France, I think that kind of took his game to another level. Um, And in this last year in particular, especially the second half of last season is where I really started to, to follow his game. And um, I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't think that at the time it would be someone that said he would be linked to uh, with everything that we've seen with, the way that that Pep deployed his wingers last season and how he really was leaning on a, a Grealish and Mares, you know, control the ball, control the game approach. It, it didn't feel like a, a profile that would involve Doku. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of his game. I think he's a player that com- uh, can complement some of the players around him, but also just offer something totally, totally different from what we have both on the left and right wing. He, I mean, I think, um, I think it was actually your co-host Jason who tweeted it out today, but um, it was a basically a stat 
a, a plot showing his take ons and take on success. And it's like just so far above and beyond everyone else in Europe's top five leagues. Like he is one of those players who it doesn't matter if he has two, three defenders, he's going to go at them. He's going to take them on. And more often than not, I think it's something like 62% of the time he has a successful take on. I mean, those are numbers that are reserved for a small, small percentage of players in, in the world. So I'm incredibly excited. Um, obviously, it hasn't been formally announced yet, but I think, like I said, he's a player that's just going to offer something different. And, and this season in particular, I mean, I'm curious what you think, Sam, but I feel like he's probably going to occupy a really super sub role in the first half of the season, running at tired legs. And then in the second half of the season is where we'll see him get more integrated into the side. And as long as he can stay healthy, you know, look to become more of a ready-made starter. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think that he's, he's going to need some time to bet in, but he'll still get plenty of minutes just because the squad is so thin. Right. And he's the only nominal right winger unless Cole Palmer stays. Then that's a, a different story. But yeah, he'll he'll get subbed on some, maybe play for some cup games or start for some like against some lower Premier League teams in the first half of the season. Then we'll see him start kicking on more through the second half of the season. Um, but I saw him exactly when you saw him. The first time I ever saw him was at Euro Cup and he was like. 18 years old and I I was thinking who the heck is this guy like he's electric <laughs> and I was I was like and I remember he was linked to some like decent clubs from when he was at I believe Anderlecht and then yep, he ended yeah. up going to Ren who Ren has a good track record of developing young guys as well um went to Ren didn't really hear anything about him for years and then all of a sudden said he's linked with him. He he wasn't really linked with anybody all summer, which is kind of surprising given like how transfers have gone this summer. And, you know, I just doing my scouting reports that I do on Twitter, I, I start watching some film of this guy and start watching just some of his actual games. Not because you watch his YouTube highlight reels and you're like, this guy looks like the best player in the world. Right, <laughs> because like the just the what he does on the pitch, and when I was watching him, I was just I was kind of shocked that nobody else had seemingly gone in for him at that point, and and, and the price they're quoting, like, what are we getting for fifty five million pounds? Like that's uh, yeah yeah, in, that's incredibly cheap for a player this summer. That's that's twenty one years old and um. When I'm watching him, I think the the really cool thing about his take-ons is that, like, it's a high volume, but like you said, it's a high percentage, which is interesting because that shows, like, good decision-making. That means that he's not trying to take on everyone all the time and just loses the ball quite often. Um, He's really smart on when he takes somebody on. Right, and I feel like what is misrepresented about how Pep feels on wingers is you know, everyone thinks, oh, he just turns them into, you know, boring wingers. He, he takes all the creativity. No, he just doesn't want players who take on defenders at the wrong time, who turns, who are turning the ball over. Um, you know, like you said, those numbers that for Doku and obviously, you know, that I'm sure that'll change coming to the Premier League level of of defenders. But the, the big thing in Pep's eyes is, right, you can, you can take on your defender. It's just you need to be smart about when you do it, where you do it, who's around you when you do it. And I think that 
again, Doku's, you know, he's 21, he's young, he's going to make mistakes, but I think his upside is so high. I mean, all you have to do is look at the fact that, you know, Kevin De Bruyne um, had been actively telling City, you know, he's a player that they should target. You look at the quotes from Mbappe, uh, Thierry Henry, I think was quoted as saying, basically, you know, if you're one-on-one with him, the only thing you can do is pray. Like, you're talking about two of the most accomplished wingers of all time, and Mbappe and, and Henri speaking so highly of him. Uh, you know, yeah, Kev and Henri was, was his coach. Right, right. At Belgium, and obviously, you know, Kev was his teammate there, is his teammate there, I should say. So um, it, it's one of those transfers that, like, again, I am very excited for it. I, I think it's a good deal for, for the player and for the club. Um, I'm just fascinated to see how this season goes in particular because for all the upside – um, there is a lot of, I, I don't want to say red flags because that probably sounds a little over the top, but his injury history is very concerning. Um, he's, I think he's had eight different injuries in the last two seasons that have kept him out a significant chunk of time, different muscular injuries. So that's something that City and, and their uh, medical team will need to monitor. And then the other thing is he doesn't typically play full 90s. Um, I think that also kind of falls back on the fitness and stamina piece, but um, he, he's still very raw in that sense and I think has a lot of maturing to do in his game, which, again, at 21 years old is totally understandable. Um, I just hope that people who maybe haven't seen him before and just dr- jump straight to YouTube uh, give him a little bit of <laughs> leeway because it's it's not, you know, those highs are high, but they're not all the time, and I, I think people just need to keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, his injury history is – it's weird because he hasn't had a major injury. Like, he hasn't had an injury where he's been out for five months, right? But right. it's always these, like, little nagging muscular things. And I at least have confidence in City's training staff to take care of that because, I mean, they did it with Erling Holland. He always had little nagging injuries as well. So I, I sure. trust the staff. But it is, I wouldn't say concerning, but it is like something to watch for because he is so explosive, right? Like, that's just kind of how he is. So it's still definitely something to watch out for. But I also think, like, he is more refined than Sterling when he got to City and Sané Mm -hmm. when he got to City. Like, I feel like when Sterling and Sané first started at City, it was like, all they could really do is run in behind and put balls in the middle. Like they didn't have much diversity of their game. And that grew as they, as they matured, right? They're, they're much different players now, but when they started at, you know, 20 years old, that that's what they were doing. And Doku, I think has a little bit more diversity to his game already. Cause you know, even though he's incredibly fast, he rarely is a guy that like, goes in behind and, and kind of gets those through balls. He plays ball to feet and just beats you with his feet because right. he's so quick. And he can kind of go either way too. He has a he has a pretty decent weak foot. So it's you're gonna see regardless, you're gonna see some like eye popping plays this year. Even though it's he's not gonna be hundred percent consistent and he's not gonna look like Kovacic and Vardiol already have, right? He's it's just not it's gonna take him some time. But you're going to see things where you just go, wow. And that's going to yeah. be fun to watch. He, he's definitely a, um, a highlight real player, I think, is, is a good way to put it. Like his 
you probably won't see his his mistakes get documented, but the things that are beneficial and that are impressive will make all the highlight reels. Um, he's he's. I think if you're a neutral and you criticize City for being a little too robotic and systematic, I think that he's one of these players who's going to offer something just totally different. Um, and I, th- I think especially as it seems like teams are going a little bit more man-to-man against City, um, that really opens up a great op- opportunity for Doku to, from either the left or the right, just have a real impact on the game. And you, you alluded to, obviously, Sané and Sterling, and I, I think um, we talked about this on, on our podcast earlier this week about how he's much more of a Sterling type than a Sané type in that, like you said, he's not really a player that makes runs in behind despite his pace. He's he's um, much more of a go-at-your-man. And um, what I like about him compared to a Sterling when he signed for City is exactly what you said. He's, he's more well-rounded. He's more two-footed. I think he has... It may not come off all the time, but I think he has much more of an attacking mindset. And being in the final third, he definitely looks more comfortable than Sterling did when he signed um and yeah I, i'm just i'm really intrigued to see how pep deploys him um you know i'm guessing it'll be more off to the right but i think coming off the left you know sane for example when he was at Schalke and uh now at Bayern, played off to the right a lot um but when he came to city he played off to the left so I, i'm just curious how pep will, will end up using him and uh you know wouldn't surprise me if if holland's numbers you know, with Kev being out, they may take an initial dip, but I think that the output that Doku will offer for Holland is going to be incredible and something that the club is really going to need. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think one last thing on Doku is um, Pep said in an interview, I think he did it in Spanish, and it's the, the video's been making its rounds all over Twitter, and that basically he said, like, your team can be as good as it can, but you need guys that can dribble. You need guys that can beat your man one-on-one because it just opens everything up. And I think that's like that's describing Doku perfectly. And that's why he liked Mares a lot is because, you know, we play down the left and then switch to Mares and Mares is one-on-one against his, uh, against his fullback and it made it incredibly difficult and I think we're going to see a lot of that with Doku as well, where, like, if Doku is one-on-one with his fullback, like Terry Henry said, you're just going to have to pray. Like, he's going to make something happen, and it's going to be fun to watch. Agreed. So, um, there's a lot more to talk about in terms of signings. It looks like City's going to try to bring one more in, uh, central midfielder. So, two names that we have heard today are Eberi Eze and Mateus Nunes from Wolves. And both are very different players. I, I, let's start up with kind of you and your, per, like your personal preference. If you were cheeky, what would you do? Yeah, so I mean, first of all, I think that they're both incredible players with um, a ton of upside, obviously, Premier League experience with both and with Eze in particular, obviously the, the homegrown status, but... For me, I, I think the the right option for the club at this point is to go with Matias Nunez. Um, he's a player who Pep, I remember, spoke so fondly of when City played Sporting in the Champions League a few years ago. Um, he's a player that, for me, I just I, I think Rodri's um, maybe not fitness, but just burnout is a ticking time bomb right now. 
He played so many minutes last season. It was the, one of the longest seasons you know City have had in terms of going into mid June. Um, I thought it was a really quick turnaround in the summer, and he, he's looked very good to start the season. But you can tell come kind of the seventy fifth, eightieth minute, he's really starting to just kind of dip off, which is what we were seeing towards the end of last season. Um, that's not something you want to be seeing in August. So for me, it's it, Matthias Nunez is a player who can probably slot in from day one as a sole six at City. Obviously not to Rodri's level right away, but uh, I think he's 24, just about to turn 25 years old. Um, it, it's clear that Calvin Phillips, you know, the writing's on the wall for him as long as Pep's manager of, of City and, and he's not trusted. So they need someone. I, I think relying on a... You know, if it's a Kovacic and Lewis or a Kovacic Bernardo double pivot while Rodri's out isn't sustainable because then you're now taking away from other parts of midfield in the wing. So I just think that that's a need so much more than bringing in a player like Eze, who's more of an attacking midfielder, an attacking eight or a ten, depending on the system. Um, so that that's what I would push for, and I think the biggest thing too, and I know you and I were talking offline about the Sam was if if City go for a Nunez this summer and opt against as a one of two things either assuming Bernardo and we'll get to his extension but say he leaves next summer um as he's still probably available for one and also Florian Verts at, at Leverkusen who's a name that's been linked is also probably available I think there's there's options for that role that are far more available but not as pressing whereas this role to back up or play next to Rodri there's not as many names so I think you go with Nunez. I think he's far more available from a price perspective. Wolves are in financial dire. They, they just need money fast. So um, to me, all signs point to, to Nunez. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. At first, you know, I was thinking about it as which one, like what type of profile City would prefer, right? Like, do they want the sort of like six, eight, hybrid or do they want the pure like, creative attacking midfielder and uh, that's what i thought is like city just want to decide which guy they want based on which profile they think is a better fit for the team and i've actually been convinced differently so i actually think it seems like the reason they're going for nunez so at least at this point in time as we're recording um, what we've heard is Fabrizio Romano tweeted that City submitted an initial bid for Nunez. It's been denied by other City reporters, but Romano seems quite confident. So who knows is essentially where we are. But it seems like kind of Nunez is the preferred choice at this point. And my guess is that City didn't really or isn't more choosing the profile of a six slash eight but rather who they can get in this late in the window. I think it's much easier to bring in Mateus Nunes from Wolves than it will be to pry Eze away from Palace because Eze is probably going to cost more from Palace. It's this late in the window. Palace are not going to want to sell. They don't really need to sell. And if Eze goes, like they could be facing a relic. Like they might already be facing a relegation battle. They could very well be facing one if Eze goes. He's kind of their like their new Zaha in a way because they lost Wolf Zaha. And so they're going to be very like 
Eze would have to push himself out the door, and City would have to go in with a really high bid. Um, whereas Nunez, Wolves are in financial difficulty. They probably still don't want to sell, but also that club is kind of ran by George Mendez. And right, right. George Mendez is also Nunez's agent, and he has a very good working relationship with City because he's the agent to like half our players. Um, Bernardo, Ruben Diaz, Cancelo technically, and I think Ederson as well, maybe even another one. But um, so, and Mendez is really good. Like, Mendez has a lot of shortcomings as an agent, but what he's really good at is finding a way to get his players out of clubs. So I think that is probably the most feasible. And like you said, same with like Florian Verts, he's not leaving Leverkusen. Uh, right. Danny Olmo, he's not leaving Leipzig. So um, it just seems like Nunez is the easiest one to get. And yeah, like the good thing too about next summer is now we have a – we have like a year to prepare because I think that was the tough thing. I don't think city foresaw Mara's leaving and kind of threw a wrench into their plans. And they probably expected to get one of either Jude Bellingham or Declan rice. And they missed out on both. So they were now they're kind of caught in the position where they're really short on numbers and Kevin De Bruyne gets a long-term injury and they're sort of scrambling at the end of the window, which they don't like to do. So, the good thing is next summer, if when they're looking for another midfielder, they have a year to prepare, and that's much easier in terms of reading your finances, reading the target you want, getting them prepared, getting the club prepared. Um, and even, uh, I'd say another shout could be potentially Paqueta if all of this stuff gets cleared up and he's found to have done nothing wrong. Now, obviously, if he's found to have done something wrong, City's not going to go near him. But if he's found to have done nothing wrong and the investigation basically goes nowhere, it wouldn't surprise me if City looked at him again because they've loved him for a long time. Yeah, and I think the the benefit of um, the Nunez, Nunez deal is that they already agreed personal terms, right? So we saw this with Doku, for example. It's been reported, and specifically today was reported, that... City were fearful that it was going to turn into a bidding war because the likes of Chelsea and Tottenham and West Ham were interested in him. And I think West Ham even um, lodged an official bid, but Doku had agreed personal terms with City and he was telling Rent, you know, I only want to go to City. So a deal that was looking at potentially getting upwards of 80, 85 million euros stuck around the 65 because, you know, Rent had no leverage. They knew that it was going to be City if he was going to move. And I think it sounds like from what we saw today that um, Nunez is the same way. He already agreed personal terms with, with City, and that gives the buying club a lot more leverage over the selling club. And like I said, Wolves need the money. I mean, it's not ideal because I think he's probably their best player, especially now that Ruben Neves was, was sold to Saudi Arabia. He's um, definitely so, their best player, yes. Yeah, so to have eight days left in the window is not great, but if they can get just for sake of numbers, say they get 60 million euros, 55 million pounds, some, something around there, you know, they can reinvest that in two, maybe three players to, because uh, to me personally, I think they're a relegation pick. So I, I think they need to just kind of not make themselves susceptible to relying too heavily on one player. So it actually may be kind of bittersweet in that sense. Um, and, and again, I think for city, it's a deal that they need to just, they need to get it done. And with as a, 
I think that could drag if it were to even happen this window. I think that's a deal that would go up until the last day and City can't really afford that right now. I think Nunez is far more of a sure thing. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think from a, from just a player's perspective, regardless of whether the deal itself is feasible, both players are incredible. Like I would For love sure. both of them at City. Like I, I love Eze. I love that he could also play on the wing if needed. So, like, he can still give Grealish something to think about, right, uh, along with Doku. And I love Nunez. Like, he can play the six, but he's played a lot higher up this year than he did in the past. So, at Sporting, he played much deeper. And I haven't gone into I'm, – I'm kind of doing a scouting report on him tonight or trying to put it together. And one thing I'm going to look at is, like, his touches – in the final third compared to that at sporting. And I think even though sporting was a much more offensive and attacking team, he probably has more touches in the box or in the final third with wolves because he plays much higher up because he had Ruben Neves behind him all of last year. Um, he, he was much better higher up. Whereas in, at sporting, he was like very deep most of the time. Right. And, and that's what I like about his the prospect of of him coming in is that it's and I don't want to make this a you know dog on Calvin Phillips episode because I know that he <laughs> that happens a lot but I think that he's a lot of what we thought we were going to get with Calvin Phillips and that he you'd hope that he can be a lone six but at the same time he has the technical ability to play as as an eight to play to me like an ideal situation is. You know, he can play with Rodri and then you have Foden roaming up ahead or a Kev roaming up ahead or an Alvarez roaming up ahead. Um, I mean, this season in particular, you know, Wolves have been kind of deploying like a weird 4-4-2. Um, and Nunez has actually been playing off of the left of that side. So he is very versatile in that, you know, again, I think City are targeting him as someone who can either give Rodri a rest or complement the rest of the midfield. But if need be, he is... He, he can really be kind of moved around. He's not a left winger by any means, but in the midfield space, he can occupy really either side. So, um, and again, at 24 years old, under Pep, I mean, we've hardly seen the best of him. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the deal should it go through. And my, my guess is that in the next, probably by the end of this week, we'll have a, a really good idea of um, whether that's going to happen or not. Yeah, so that that's the other thing is, I think Kovacic can play the six and deputize for Rodri, but that makes me feel uncomfortable if that's the only cover we have for him. Like, I'd, I'd rather have a little more cover. Um, it's just, just too over-reliant on, on, on one player. You know what I mean? Like yeah, because he's, he's going to he need some rest, there. man. Yeah, yep. And and like you said, like I think it's fairly clear now that Calvin Phillips isn't getting any playing time. Not to dog on him, it's just that's kind of the reality that we have to face. And Nunes is powerful, too. That's one thing I like about him. Is he's like, he actually, I saw he clocked the highest top speed of any central midfielder in the Premier League last year. Wow. Like, he's, he's got pace. He's got power. He'll run past people. He No player in Europe's top seven divisions has won more duels than him last year. And he completed more take-ons in the Premier League. Oh, this that was this season, actually. So, so far, no player has more take-ons and has won more duels in the first two games than Mateus Nunes. So, like, he's just – he's a beast all around, and I think 
just giving Rodri that extra rest so he doesn't have to play FA Cup games against Sheffield United. Um, it would be nice because right. they can kind of do it by committee, right? Because Nunes will have to learn. Learning the six is really hard for Pep's system. But with, like, Kovacic there, with Rico Lewis there, with with the, the defense how it is, like, he, he's got support around him where they have a lot more variety if Rodri is getting a rest. And that's what I like. I also love that City are just building, like, the biggest squad in the Premier League in terms of, like, literal size of their players. Like, it's such a yeah. 180 from what we've come to. I mean, Nunez, it's funny, he, he he's registered as six feet, and, and that very well may be true, but you watch him on the pitch, and it's one of those, like, he just looks like a mammoth of a human being. And, I mean, what I will say is, for those that haven't watched him this season, he did get sent off this past weekend against Brighton. Um, a bit of a hot-headed moment, but at the same time, I mean, that's kind of what I loved about Ferno was when he was at City, you know, you need a bit of bite, you need a bit of, of anger in that position. Um, I think Rodri does a good job of being very, very subtle about it, but um, it's not a position that you can kind of just skate by, so I I hope that he can kind of rein that in, and hopefully he gets his suspend, his one-game suspension out of the way and then jo- join City, but um he's he's definitely a a really intriguing prospect and you know i think like we already said it's just it feels like more of a need at this point than as does yeah and he can play the eight too which is like which is really good that like he he'll be more of i think more of a gundawan type of player like phillips was brought in to be rodry's backup and yeah he could play next to rodry more of a double pivot maybe get forward a little bit but like Nunez can just flat out play the eight, like, and play the six. So I think that's just it's really good variety. I think he'll become a world if if he comes become a world class player under Pep. He just he has all the technical skills, has all the physical skills, and he like you said he's a huge dude. He's incredibly strong, incredibly fast. Like he's just he incredibly underrated for. I think it's just because he's at Wolves, really, is the reason nobody really talks about him much. Yeah, the way he was talked about at Sporting versus the way he's talked about at Wolves is just, again, a victim of, of being at Wolves, right? It's it's. I think if he had spent another year or two at Sporting, um, we'd be hearing his name a lot more. And um, I think it's a little bit kind of like Jao Paulinha at Fulham, right? It's one of those players who probably goes under the radar because the team that they play for isn't that you know they're not playing in Europe they're not a, a totally big name in in world football but I, I again I think if Pep can get his hands on him I mean you're talking it, it's crazy to think about because I can't think of anyone in world football who takes Rodri's spot but I mean you're gonna be hard-pressed to find a better compliment to him that's available at this stage of the window than uh, Matthias Nunez yeah and I guess last point on him is just that it's nice that we know City have watched him for a long time because right. what I was worried about is the end of the window. They're going to panic and buy somebody that they haven't scouted or done their due diligence on extensively. And that's not to say like City scouts thousands of players and looks at thousands of players and has reports on thousands of players, right? But it's still like it, when you're going down to like your fifth, sixth, seventh choice or whatever, it 
you don't know how like they're obviously not as prepared as they were for like Jude Bellingham, right? Uh, so it's nice to know that like Mateus Nunes, we know they've liked him for a long time, and that's good to know. Well, and the fact that it's a midfielder too, and that Pep's liked him for a long time to me is like mm-hmm. just so important. I, I mean, I I think Pep had spoken fondly of Calvin Phillips when he was at Leeds, but I think a lot of that was the manager that he played for at the time more than the player himself. Whereas it feels like Nunez, you know, I remember, I think it was, it must've been either before or after they played sporting, but he was talking about him being, he's like, he's one of the best midfielders in the world. Like, you know, talking about, he called him one of the best players in the world. Yeah. One of the best players in the world. That is high, high praise. And at the time, I think he was 21. Um, Mm -hmm. So it, 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 again, it definitely feels like far more of a pep signing, um, or Pep back signing than anything. And, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, I'm sure there's some people who are thinking, you know, like you talked about, right, they, they tried to get Rice, they tried to get Bellingham. Well, they tried to get Koulibaly, they tried to get Kunde, and they ended up with Ruben Dias. So if if, <laughs> if your third choice Portuguese player uh, ends up like that, I, I'm fine with that happening again. Yeah. Well, let's move on to another Portuguese player. Uh Bernardo Silva extended his contract after he seemingly has wanted to leave for four years. Now we got a contract extension for one year. Um, it seems like it has a release clause. We're obviously not positive, but there are reports that the release clause is around 50 million pounds. Um, what, what do you think of that? It, it seems like people are kind of split on, on it just because of the release clause, right? Like, oh, we're going to have to do this again. What do you think? Uh, to me, it's it's why this city are the best run club in the world. Um, and what I mean by that is it, it's, it's been very well documented, Bernardo's desire to try something new. It's not, it's not to, to leave City. It's just I, th- I think if City were located on the Iberian Peninsula, he'd probably sign a 10-year extension, but that's clearly not the case. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think to me what it tells me is, one – it ties him down. You know, it's a guarantee that he stays at least this season, which is great because City can't afford to lose another key member of the squad. It gives him a well-deserved pay raise for both performance and, to me, I think a part of that says, "Hey, we know you've you've wanted to leave for the past couple windows. You've kept your head down. You've done the business. You know, thank you for that. Here's a pay raise." And then the most important piece is that release clause. To me, I think is actually great, as as crazy as it sounds. In that, if he truly wants to leave. Now City can truly say, hey, if a club brings the money that's in your release clause, you have every right to leave. But if they don't bring it, it's in your contract. There's a reason that's in your contract. So now there's no, well, City, you know, are holding him to a Declan Rice level valuation that we were hearing earlier this summer. Everyone's going to know his valuation. If someone wants him that badly, they'll pay the money. If they don't, my guess is he sees out his contract till what's now 2026. And I think he walks for free to go back to Benfica. And if that if he does, that'll be what? Nine years at City? Um, he's a club legend at that point. He's Yeah, he's a club legend. He walks away with endless trophies. And um, I mean, my thought is the longer he sticks around, it's only good for, for trying to keep Pep longer as well. But yeah, I think it's a contract that, or an extension that makes so much sense for literally everybody involved. So I don't, I, I can't for the life of me understand why people are balking at it. Yeah, I, I think the same way. I think, the I mean, on its face, it seems like the reason people are kind of upset at it is 
fifty million is below his market value, um, which it is. Even next year, it will be. Uh, but what I like about it personally is he PSG wanted him this year. Saudi Arabia wanted him this year. He didn't want to go there. He mm-hmm. has been very specific at where he wants to go if he leaves City. He wants to go to the Iberian Peninsula, namely, if not back to Portugal, to Barcelona. And luckily for City, Barcelona have absolutely no money to spend on him, right? <laughs> They're out of levers. And, <laughs> yeah, a lot of levers, right? So now City is in the good position that they have a release clause. You know what happens when there's a release clause? You have to pay all the money up front. Do we really think even next year Barcelona is going to have 50 million pounds to pay all the way up front? They still haven't paid for Ferran Torres that we sold him two years ago. <laughs> so they're not paying it up front. Like so, right. And Bernardo still has to agree to a move. So honestly, like that release clause is essentially a Barcelona release clause. At least what it seems like, unless unless he later on in his career decides he wants to go to Saudi Arabia and just collect a massive check, because I think right now he's just got too much ambition, right? He's tw- he's in the prime of his career and he's just got too much ambition. Maybe when he gets to age thirty, he thinks, you know what? I I think I've accomplished all I've wanted to accomplish. Let me go make a ton of money, and I wouldn't fault him for that, but. At least what it does is for Barcelona, it forces them to pay it up front. They know what the price is, like you said, uh, and pay it all. Send a check right now for 50 million pounds. If not, get lost. And I think that's good because it's either going to be that or he's going to go back to Benfica. Maybe Saudi comes calling, but it seems clear that that's all he wants to do. So. I'm not too bothered about the release clause just because I don't think Barcelona can pay it. That's really why. Yeah, and and again, my thought is if it's not Barcelona, I just don't see him as a player. Like going to Paris is not going to Portugal. It's not going to Spain. And PSG are in just such a weird state right now that to me he's too smart of a footballer and a person to to pursue a project like that. I mean, he got offered endless money to go to Saudi Arabia this summer and turn it down. Again, it just, this feels like a deal that either someone, and I I don't know who comes up with the money, or he just goes to Benfica. And if City can get an extra year out of it and and give him a pay raise, it's a win-win for everyone involved. And um, yeah, I just, I I love the deal for for everybody. I, I also think too, it'll be interesting, like this season in particular, is Bernardo a right winger for city is he going back to central midfield i know he plays everywhere and he'll probably continue to do so but it, it feels like this could be a really interesting season for him with the key pieces that have left and the fact that there's so much turnover i think we need his consistency now more than ever yeah absolutely i think we'll see him more centrally personally um just because i have a feeling that because like that if Nunez is the one that is signed, not Eze, that City will keep Cole Palmer around to play on the wing just mm-hmm. to add some more depth. And I think Cole Palmer, if he stays, will get real minutes. And I know Juan Malio loves him and wants and like 
I, I've heard personally that Leo specifically wants to keep him around um, just to develop him more because he thinks he can be that good and they just have a really good working relationship. So I think it's something to watch for. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, anyone who's either listened to me on the podcast or followed me on Twitter knows I'm a huge Cole Palmer fan. And um, I also think it's it's funny, like Cole Palmer can learn a lot from Bernardo Silva sticking around. Um, they're not similar players in any, by any means, but I think that ability to wait for link-up play, for having a little bit of um, positional awareness and tactical discipline is where his game needs probably the most def- uh, refining. And I think that learning from a player like Bernardo, who, again, is probably going to play more central than anything, but has played out there under Pep, um, will only do him a world of good. And obviously the Juan Mott piece is, um, is, a, is a big component. It's similar to how you know the Sterlings, the Sanes felt with Mikel Arteta. Um, it'll be interesting to see, too, and I know it's something you want to talk about, but you know, how City set up these next two matches with, with Wanma in charge. I'm just curious if there's any tweaks there. Yeah, that's kind of next to our – or kind of next up on the on the list. And really the last thing is Pep had emergency back surgery, and so he'll be out for looks like the next two matches until the international break. Um, oddly, I feel much more confident with Juan Malio there just because – He's very seasoned, right? He's been uh, head manager of a ton of teams. And that, like, even though it's not the top, top teams, right? But it doesn't matter. Like, he's he's been in those positions before, and that means something. And he's so trusted by Pep. Like, he was the, when, when Rodolfo Burrell left, like, Pep immediately was like, you need to get Juan Malio back. That's what we need to do. Right. And... I think that that just says so much. So I think we might see some tactical differences, but I don't think it's going to be crazy, right? I think I think more what I'm more comfortable with is that like there are tactical things that change in the middle of a game just based on how the team sets up that you might not expect. And Leo is as good as anyone at pointing those things out and and seeing them. So Oddly, I feel more confident because he is there, but obviously still not ideal for Pep to not be on the sideline. No, I mean, it's not ideal, but I'd much rather it be against Sheffield United and Fulham than Burnley and Newcastle. Um, I think it comes at yes. a, a good time of the season, especially, you know, again, with the Newcastle match being three days after the Super Cup, whereas, you know, City have had a week off, and then after Sunday's match, they'll have another six days till... They host Fulham, so it, it, it does feel like it's coming at a really good time of um, the fixture list. And also, I mean, I, I don't know in what capacity, but it was reported that Pep will have um, access, you know, via phone or whatever to, to the bench. So, you know, he'll, he'll be tapped in to some extent. It's not like he's, you know, going to be all drugged up or anything. He'll, he'll be ready, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about it in the slightest. Yeah. And I think another just benefit to the coaching staff this year is Leo's longtime assistant is also on City staff, which was he was never there before because City lost Rodolfo Burrell and Enzo Maresca. There was a spot for him on the staff. And I think he's been an assistant for Leo at like six different jobs. So, yeah, they're, and they're Leo a wanted to travel br- pair. 
Yeah, and Leo wanted to bring him in the first time. There was just no room on the coaching staff for him. So it'll be interesting now that it's like it's Le- like Leo is like basically Pep's beloved number two right now, and then this guy is I think his name's Dominguez is Leo's beloved number two. So it's it's really cool. I like it a lot. Yeah, it just felt like the smart move at the right time, bringing in a familiar face, some stability. Um, it's the stuff that probably won't be at the top of people's news feeds. It won't be talked about throughout the season, but it's that type of stuff behind the scenes that, that keeps the uh, keeps Pep going and keeps the club ticking along. So uh, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Well, at least for now, that's, uh, that's all we got. I think you know by the time this gets released there might be some new transfer news that we don't know about but <laughs> who knows by now yeah it feels like something new every every couple hours we'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be breaking 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 but that's uh that's all part of the fun of the the end of the transfer window it's not normally something city's involved in but um i, I don't hate it it's something different so all right well guys um do you well, Joe? First off, do you want to shout out your podcast and and your Twitter handle? Where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, I contribute to the City Report podcast. Um, you can find us on any social media at City Report Pod, and then uh, I'm on Twitter at Joe underscore Richie R I C C I, and then an underscore after that to make it as confusing as possible. So uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Yeah, and and. City Report podcast is a great podcast as well. I encourage everyone to go listen if if you don't already. Um, so excited to get some more stuff. I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. We're going to look to bring on more people, not just because uh, Jason is sick this time around, just bringing on more people in general. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you having me on, Sam. It was great. All right, guys. Uh, take it easy until next time. <laughs>